Hello, everyone. Uh, good morning, because it is the morning when I'm recording this. Uh, this is a very special ESC podcast. My name is Roger Armstrong, and we have a very special guest on this podcast today. It's none other than the ESC. Paul, good morning to you. How surprising to find me on my own podcast. It's incredible. <laughs> Real brand recognition there. ESC podcasts featuring um, the ESC. And um, the purpose of this uh, discussion today is, I think, to follow up on the really, really uh, extensive article that you wrote last week about our friend Farhad Mashiri as to whether he was part of the solution or whether he was part of the problem. And uh, that article has been extremely well received, very widely covered. uh, And you can tell us a little bit more about that. I want to pull out some key points from it. Some of the areas you talked about, the manager, transfers, the stadium, finances, the board, a lot to get through. But before we dive into it, Paul, I would like, um, you and I have known each other now for three or four years, and, and, and we met really via, via Twitter, um, and I have uh, come to know you well, uh, consider you to be a, a trusted friend, but also uh, very respectful of your professional experience. And I'm conscious that there may be some people out there who don't really know who you are and what you've done and why um, what you say from a business perspective particularly is worth listening to. So without being vainglorious, which you certainly aren't, could you just tell us who the hell the ESC is and what you've been doing for the last few years that makes your opinions on Everton as a business worth listening to? Um, okay. <laughs> uh, as you probably know, I'm, quite, I'm always very reluctant to do the, this, this type of talk. Um, but in, in, in terms of why I wrote what I wrote and how I wrote what I wrote and um, whether there's any weight uh, to what I wrote. Um, Essentially, uh, the articles and some of the podcasts that I do are an extension uh, of what I do for a living. So for for many years, you know, I'm in my late 50s. Um, For many years, I've either run businesses or been involved in businesses uh, as an investor, as a director, as a sort of part of the management team, um, doing all sorts of different things, uh, ostensibly strategic in nature, um, because that's really my, my great strength. Um, I have an ability to understand numbers and understand uh, spreadsheets and understand accounts, um, but mainly uh, strategic stuff and mainly stuff about, about growing businesses and growing businesses internationally. So, so um, when you say strategic, Paul, just for our listeners, what do you actually mean? Because there's a danger that that just sounds like business bingo bullshit. What do you mean by strategy and strategic business activity? Okay, I think it doesn't matter how big a business is or how small a business is. It has to have an understanding of where it's placed in, it, in, in its marketplace. Right. So every, every single business occupies a different place in its marketplace. Um, and each of those marketplaces are different because different sectors of business have different things that affect them in, you know, in very simple terms. And if you don't have an understanding, first of all, of where you sit relative to your competitors, um, where your industry sits relative to the economy, and where you sit relative to your customers, then I don't know how you can plan uh, to grow a business, if indeed that's that's the objective to grow, may not be the objective. It may just be to be as profitable as you possibly can. But for me, um, strategy is about first of all determining what exactly it is that you want to get out of the business that you're involved in. It might be huge dividends. It might be growth of the balance sheet so that you can sell sell your shares for an awful lot of money at some point in the future. But it might just be this sort of the intellectual challenge of being sort of in in technology or being you know an environmentally sensitive business or being a, a socially aware business. Um, there can be all sorts of motivations behind why you want to do what you want to do in the way that you want to do it, and that to me is 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 strategy. And if you don't, from my perspective and from my um, experience. If you don't start at that point and if you don't constantly revise what you're doing and look at what you're going to do in the future from that point, then you really don't know. I'm afraid you really don't know what you're doing. I wrote an article a couple of years ago. Warren Buffett said, 
the biggest risk in business is not knowing what you're doing. And if yeah. you're not, if yeah. you're not, if you're not strategic from from the very first point, um, then you're 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 leaving a lot of things to chance. And I suppose one of one of my frustrations about Everton, uh, as we were talking about earlier, and I think a lot of Evertonians would say the same. Outside of my family, um, there are very few things in life that are more important than Everton Football Club, for a whole host of reasons. You know, mainly historic in terms of my family, but also you know a strong part of um, my experience growing up as a as a football mad boy in Liverpool in, in the 1970s. Um, so it, to me, it's really important that uh, yeah. Everton do the things that I think they should do, uh, not only based on um, you know, my own personal views, but based on my experience and based on what I've seen other successful businesses do. And if we don't do those things, it, or if we do them differently, then I think we, you know, and, and again, this is just my own opinion, I think we're leaving a lot of things to chance, and for me, you know, they are they are chances that you don't have to take if you're prepared to put the effort in to, as I call it, you know, strategic thinking in the first instance. Okay, Paul, that's absolutely fantastic, and I've, I don't think I've heard a clearer uh, definition of strategy than what you just said there. Just to recap, you're saying it that the strategy means at the top level that the business, whatever business it is, has a plan and has a set of objectives and knows its direction of travel. But in addition to that, it understands where it sits in its own marketplace competitively. Uh, and there's no more competitive business than sport because you have league tables and performance uh, on a game-to-game on a -game basis, season-to-season -season basis. But also you need to know where football sits within the overall economy. And you need to know um, what the impacts of various uh, macroeconomic factors might be to your business. Yep. And, and also you need to understand your relationship with your customers. And, and again, you could think of how Everton treats its fans, how it treats its sponsors and how it treats its other uh, business partners. So um, thank you for that. That's a very clear explanation of what you mean by strategy. And then, crucially, why you give a shit about Everton. Growing up in Liverpool in the 70s and having seen some glory days in the 80s, having seen us overtaken, uh, and you've been on your own personal journey through business where you've achieved considerable success and you've seen the football club that you love, the football club that you love, which is an expression of your own personal identity. I feel exactly the same way. I don't expect us to win, but if we do badly and if we perform as we've done in on many occasions in the last few years, or if we're wallowing around in mid-table or, God forbid, relegation-threatened obscurity, it, it it's not good for my own self-esteem, to be honest with you. I, I think we're better than that, and I think we can always improve. So let's crack on with the article, because it will flow from those points you've made about strategy and direction. So fundamentally... Fundamentally, what do you think Mashiri's plan is for Everton? We've talked about it over the years on Everton Business Matters and elsewhere. What is the plan, if indeed there is one? What is the strategic direction? Um, just before I answer that, the other point I just wanted to make on um, strategy and, and, and all of the things that I said is um, all of this, all of what I said for a business requires uh, self-awareness. So you... Yep. You know the point that you made in repeating what I said about knowing exactly where you are. Um, it requires good quality information, and it requires honesty. Yeah. It, re it requires the ability to actually look at yourself critically. Yeah. Uh, and establish actually what re what reality is, not what you might think it might be, or what what you might hope it might be. Yes. Or in Indeed. the event of some people ignoring things that you know are wrong, um, but they may be just too difficult for you as an individual or for you as an organization to address. And th that will, that remember that little bit about it maybe be, being too difficult to address because that's critical, I think, in terms of the comments I made about non-executive directors and having accountability. Yeah. Um, having outsiders looking at your business and actually telling you stuff 
uh, that perhaps you don't want to hear. Um, I, I, I want to just change the question as well. Um, so whilst you haven't answered it yet, I'm going to change it. Okay. In answer to what you've just said, it's not just about what is Mashiri's plan, what is the direction of travel. It's, as you've just said, where does he think he's starting from? You know, how good are we in the first place and how much change is actually necessary? So you're right, self-awareness and humility and looking at your own activities dispassionately. So where is he actually starting from? Are we a top six, top eight, top four aspirational club or are we in a much more perilous state before we even decide in which direction we're going to travel? Um, I, I think, as the article says, I think, we, I think we've recessed or a, a, some form of regression. Yeah. Um, we were, uh, when David Moyes left, top, you know, the best of the rest. Absolutely. And seven, seven years ago. Um, we were arguably still the best of the rest, although uh, there were now six big clubs rather than four big clubs uh, when he came here. And um, as you have identified, previously in conversations that you and I have had um, we're nowhere near uh, the best of the uh, best of the rest now so um, from my perspective we've, we've gone we've gone backwards or as John Blaine says in the foot race we've allowed other people to get get ahead of us and increase the gap between us and and them um, I have no feeling at all for whether uh, Fahad Nashiri thinks that or not um, I don't even know if the board thinks that or not, because the only time anybody, a fan or um, shareholder, hears from the board is very carefully scripted uh, presentation at the annual general meeting, which focuses on what they believe to be the positives in terms of how business has performed in in the past, and very yeah. rarely, very rarely does it actually address. Uh, what they need to do in, in the future. Now, there'll be some people saying, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. Um, we've got one of the best managers, managers in the world. We've got a, a highly um, recognized and um, a very good director of football. Some people may, may argue that point, but nevertheless, he is very high profile and well-respected in the business. And then we've got, you know, things like the stadium is, is going to happen and, you know, Mashiri's put in so much money over all this period. That is evidence of uh, ambition. It's evidence of wanting to be a bigger and a better club than we are. Um, I think it's only evidence of us being wanting to be a better and bigger club than we are if we address the issues that have held us back. Um, and in the past, everybody thought that the things that have held us back is a lack of money. Yeah, and therefore, if the money is made available, all of our problems are solved. Absolutely. Well, the reality of the situation is that for the last four and a half years, we've been given as much money as we could possibly spend uh, in terms of regulations, uh, but it actually hasn't addressed the problems, the underlying problems that the club has, and that's the bit that's uh, that's the bit that's really difficult to come to terms with and to come to terms with in terms of the question that you asked yeah. where, where, where does Mashiri think we are because logically uh, and I do rely a lot on logic when, when I'm thinking about things logically if Mashiri felt the same way perhaps as I feel or, or as I've just described he'd do something about it Yeah, and it's the absence of doing something about it that brings about the question as to how he views the reality of the situation or if yeah. indeed he does because that's the other point he might not he might he might be um and i to some extent i think we've and i'm probably more guilty of this than anybody else i think we've misinterpreted his intent when he arrived at the club yes he wanted uh, us to be more successful yes he wanted us to have a stadium and you know and he's made various comments and done various media bits so over the years stating that um, but it wasn't until I reread that quote after the Chelsea game in uh, March 2016 that I thought perhaps he doesn't want as much change in the organisation as I do and other people do. Mm. 
Well, I, I think that's really valid. And before we go into, you know, this, because we're always second guessing, aren't we? We don't know what he's thinking. But, but, but I would come back to this point that you just made where we've had more money than we could possibly have imagined. You know, your own article points out that we have spent £458 million in three and a half, four years. Yeah, we've got 260 odd of that back. Our wage bills doubled virtually from 84 million to 160 million. Um, we're running losses cumulatively of over 100 million pounds. And I want, I want a nice, clear explanation of short-term cost control off you and what that means for summer transfer budget in a second. But my conclusion would be that we thought all we needed was money to fix Everton and get us back to the top table. And what this has proven is there are problems much, much greater at the football club that money alone cannot address. And that is logical. That is self-evident from what's happened under Martinez when he left. We were in two semi-finals, and we've got nowhere near anything like that. And our league position has barely improved. If anything, gone backwards now. Uh, uh, as we end this this rather bizarre season. So less about where does Mashiri think we need to travel to. He doesn't realise how far back and what a mess we were in at the very, very start. Because actually we've spent net over £200 million and we've got absolutely nowhere. And that, from a business perspective, is rubbish, really. It is, and you know, and it's often said, and I think I have I have problems with this comment. It's often said that very successful businessmen, when they turn to football, seem to forget all the lessons that they've learned. Yeah. Um, and whilst the evidence is there that you know it might be true, it it sort of defies credibility to me because I just mm-hmm. don't think that if if you're if you're sufficiently disciplined enough to have had a successful career, to um, have grown your net worth, to have grown the net worth of your shareholders and everything else that, that Mashiri clearly has done uh, to the benefit of Usmanov and others, I find it, I find it really, I, I really struggle with the idea that then he takes on a very high profile, the most high profile investment of his life. Because, you know, frankly, who had heard of Mashiri? in 2000 and when he came in 2016 very Absolutely. very few people yeah. knew about him it's wrong to say he's a global figure but in sport he's a global figure now and you know he's, he's english football's fourth largest benefactor and, uh, and yet it's, it's extraordinary yeah yeah and yet there's no evidence of him having got anything from it he hasn't he hasn't improved his his own personal reputation. Now that may not be important to him, um, but if it's not important to him, fine. It has, to, but it has to be important to somebody else. Otherwise, we're in a situation where there's no leadership within the club. My expectation was always that he would come in as a shareholder, forty nine percent to begin with, and he'd grow it to where where it is now, seventy seven percent, and he would bring the leadership skills that he clearly has elsewhere in order to grow. USM and other businesses to the size that they got to and apply those leadership skills uh, to Everton Football Club. If I look across the park, that's clearly what FSG did. Yeah. It took them several years to realize what they had to do in order to make themselves a success. But by God, once they realized what they had to do, um, they've gone away and done it. Uh, and I don't, but I don't see that. I don't see the evidence of that in terms of what he's doing at Everton. And this is, this is not a hatchet job on the man because you know, he, he's been a, an incredible financial backer of the club. It's just asking, why haven't we achieved what we could have achieved in the four and a half years that he's been there, given the resources that have been put into the club? Why, are we, why have we regressed? Um, well, let me, flip it. let me flip the question round, Paul. Yeah. Um, if he hadn't come in, if he hadn't come in at all, no investment, where would we be now? Because I think we'd still be in the Premier League and I still, I still think we'd probably be in the top 10, to be honest with you. And we might have bought different types of players for uh, lower transfer fees and flogged a few for profit. But I, I certainly don't think we would have been 
uh, in any worse position without his money. Well, I think I think we we wouldn't have the prospect of a new stadium. I mean, you know, we can we can talk about whether having a new stadium or not is beneficial to the club, but we certainly wouldn't have had the prospect of that under. That's very true. On, 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 under the previous um, ownership, so you know, if you think a new stadium is a good idea, then that that's that's a, a positive in terms of Mashiri. But you're absolutely right in terms of um, what we've achieved or not achieved on 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 the field. We we would have, we'd have sold Lukaku earlier than we did because we sold Johns in 2016. Yep. We would have probably sold Lukaku, but you know. Um, and Ross. Say, earlier, earlier than we did, uh, and we just sold Ross, and you know we we sold a lot of other players as well. Went perhaps you know uh, they weren't pulling up roots, but they were you know, decent uh, Premier League players. Delafeo, um, cleverly, you know we we sold players for a profit, uh, and we would have just continued to have done that, and we would have the players that we would have acquired wouldn't have been the players that we did acquire on very large, very large salaries and very large um, transfer fees. Yeah. So we would have been, without without there being a Moyes, we, we would have been a, just another version of uh, Bill Kenwright's Everton. Yeah, I think I think that's true. So so let me, I want to try and take a positive spin, which will astonish some listeners and they may be dropping <laughs> their cups of coffee or whatever they're drinking. Um, but but let, let me, you know, money hasn't solved the problem. Money has got us absolutely nowhere. Okay, we have not progressed. You can argue whether we've gone backwards, but at the very, very best, we've stood still with all of this money. And we've made some disastrous appointments and some disastrous purchases, the transfer market. And we haven't done what we should have done, we believe, which was to have made some wholesale changes at boardroom level, not necessarily lost anyone, but actually beefed up the uh, commercial skill set on the board and maybe gone for a higher profile non-executive chairman uh, or even uh, uh, chief executive with with, with more business uh, sense. I, I heard that the chief exec of, of Leeds United talking incredible sense and vision over the last couple of days. Now they're promoted and setting out a roadmap for them. But the one thing he has done now, the one thing he's gotten right is he's got the very, very, very best manager we could possibly uh, attract. And, and, and probably better than we should have attracted, given our parlous state. And is that not the first piece of really, really decisive action that he's got spot on? Because you can't do better than Ancelotti. And is that is there not a chance that he could be the agent for change? And he could be the man that leads us to where we really should be, having spent the amount of money that we already have and is Mashiri thinking he's going to have a last roll of the dice with Carlo and is he doing it with Carlo and having chosen Carlo has he given up on brands I know that's a big question but that's a fundamental change isn't it if he does that give Carlo the reins Carlo's been making some interesting comments in the press about board will back me going to be making decisions alongside Marcel Brands. For me, the clock's ticking on Brands, not just because I don't think he's made very good signings, but actually, I don't think the two of them can work together. And I think Mashiri is playing out an end game here. What's your view? I think, <laughs> I, think I think you're giving him too much credit in terms of his strategic thinking, to be honest. OK, uh, fair um, enough. I'm trying to be positive, Paul. No, no, no. I'm trying I, to put a no, positive I, spin I, on it. That I, I, if, I if money that. can't solve it, he's got to change something. And is that potential? Because he's not about to get rid of Kenry. He's not about to get rid of Denise. I don't think he's about to change things at a boardroom level. And maybe they'll just run the business and count the beans. But actually, all transfer dealings, which is how this business has got to, has got itself in a mess, having wasted so much money. He's just going to give the reins of that to Carlo and the whole of the football footballing side of the club to Carlo, could that make a difference and produce a focus and produce a plan on the pitch? Because we've said so bloody many times that the lack of a plan off the pitch is completely mirrored by the lack of a plan on it. Sure. My understanding, though, and I'm very happily happy to be corrected on this, is that 
Angelotti has not normally been the guy that's gone out and done the recruiting. He he clearly knows the type of player that he wants, and he's probably, you know, knows individual players that he wants that fit in with his yeah. footballing strategy. But my understanding is in the past, you know, he's always worked with a director of football or or with a you know a very active president. Um, yeah, and a networking, a, net, a scouting network behind them to support, but but actually given more direction. Him saying, "Look, I need these three types of players. Go and find me them. Then give me a short list, and we'll decide which one we go for." That he's taking the final decision. I, I think undoubtedly he will have a much clearer idea of who he wants and what type of player he wants uh, than anybody that we've had at the club for, for for many a long year. I mean that you know I think that's a given given his status in the game and given what he's achieved uh, you know, in, in, in all the clubs that, that he's managed. I, I, don't think, I, don't think, I don't think that's an issue at all. I do think that Brands is, is a fundamental part of it. Um, and I do think that whatever it is that Angelotti wants will be sort of put through the Brands filter for want of a better description. Um, do, do you really think so? Because as we talked about with Piv the other day, there are clearly players who didn't go through the brand's filter, whether that be Iwobi, whether that be Moise Keane, whether that be, you know, back in the day, um, uh, some of the other, you know, when we were signing multiple um, number 10s. Um, but that was, that was because we had managers who had no idea in terms of strategic thinking. Mm. Um, you know, one, I think I said in, in several occasions in the article, there were times when we had three or four people directing uh, the transfer business, yeah. but doing so independently. So yeah. Bill would be talking to his favourite agents. Uh, Kuman would be talking to whoever he spoke to. Uh, Steve Walsh would be doing the, you know, the, the grunt work that he did at Leicester very successfully, no doubt. Um, but wasn't able to sort of break into international markets. I mean, you, know, you remember that? Um, yeah, when he went to Milan with a picture with, with, in Milan. I mean, looked completely out of out of out of his depth. And then you've got an owner who uh, enjoys football, enjoys um, mixing with the very top agents in the game, in, in, enjoys all that sort of you know uh, Hollywood element. Of football, going off and, and 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 doing his own thing as well. Yeah, I think, and I suspect. I, I don't know this because clearly I've, I've I've never spoken to Ancelotti. And why would he speak to me? But I suspect he comes in and he says, "If we if I'm going to do this, then this is how it's going to be done, and there's going to be some discipline, and there's going to be some focus, and you know, nobody nobody buys a player unless." Unless I give it the okay, so you've yeah. got you've got brands out there with his network of people, some working for the club, some working independently, um, and he's bringing people uh, to Angelotti, and Angelotti is saying yes or no to those people, and hopefully then that excludes uh, the likes of Mashiri, the likes of Bill, from doing what they've done in the past. That's okay, the only, well, surely that's, that's the only way it can work. Well, that's positive because the two of them working together without Mashiri doing, you know, vanity purchases or, or, or Bill getting conned into signing Sigurdsson, um, then, then, then that's positive. I'll take that. I'll take that as change in that the, um, I'll take that as a positive change in that our dealings in the transfer market will be restricted and the decisions will be made by footballing professionals and, you know, Ancelotti and Brands sound to me like a pretty decent double act. So let's let's move on to then, following on from your article, how can we give Ancelotti the money that he needs? How much theoretically have we got available to spend? Because that's really, you know, the top question on most fans' lips right now, because we know we're stuck with, arguably stuck with Sigurdsson and Walcott and overpaid players on long contracts that we can't bin. And people don't want to have to sell Richarlison. Arguably, they might be happy to sell Pickford. But how can we generate cash? Because as I understand it, we're sat on losses of $100 million up to June 19, and um, perhaps you're predicting losses of another 60 
to June 20. Where are we against short-term cost control, which everyone thinks of as FFP? How much headroom do we have in simple terms? Okay, I think we have very little headroom. Um, just for those that may not have all of the rules and regulations to hand, short-term cost control looks at uh, how much money you've made, you've lost as a business uh, over the last three years. And it doesn't take the figures that are necessarily shown in the accounts because there are adjustments that you can make in terms of um, women's football, in terms of community spend, and in terms of spending on um, infrastructure, state, you know, essentially state yeah. stadia. Um, and they also play around with um, the uh, player trading profits. So mm -hmm. they, they look at an average rather than a year-by-year -year basis. Um, but even taking all of those things into account, uh, the limit on losses over any three-year period is £105 million. And, and where are we against that? Well, it's really difficult to say because you don't have management accounts to, to look at what the, the, the bits that can be taken out, how much they're worth. Um, but the bits that can be taken out would have to be sort of worth about £45 million pound, or valued at £45 million. Pound. And I, I don't think those bits are, are, are that big. So I think currently, as we as it stands, where total losses would be in excess of 105 million pound. By even how much with those adjustments, Paul. Even with that figure, even even with those adjustments, yeah. Um, okay. I can't tell you how much over 105 million it would be because I don't know how much can be deducted from uh, from the losses as as they appear in the accounts. But I, I think we're I, I think we're over the, currently over that figure. Um, and it's a bit. I guess it's a. It's a bit like if you're if you're having to live off an overdraft, sometimes the bank will let you go beyond your overdraft limit for a short period of time if they understand what's going to happen in the future, and you're going to bring it back down under under that. Um, and I think that's the position that we're in. So, um, there may there may be a small budget for for players, but define small. Any. I would be amazed if, if we spent more than sort of £25 million. Net or gross? Net. And I think that's, I think that's even, even, I think that's a high figure. Um, for, two, for two reasons. One, first of all, regulations. And secondly, um, the business actually doesn't have that amount of money. We, in cash flow terms, yeah. Our cash flow has been negative for, for quite a period of time now. And the other, the other point is, of course, going back to one of the first points that I made at the beginning of this, this talk, um, the macroeconomic situation is so different from how we thought it might be even six yeah. months ago. Yeah. Um, and whilst, yes, there's talk about, you know, maybe some spectators being allowed back in grounds next year, there's... There's an awful lot of money that's been taken off the table by the coronavirus and will be taken off the table for a number of years because, and I don't want to be uh, Dr. Gloom here, but I think people are blissfully unaware of the economic impact of, of the coronavirus and the type of recession that we might have is going to affect people in Liverpool. So whether they can buy tickets, whether they can buy season tickets, whether they can buy the merchandising, or even if they go to the ground, whether or not they can afford to buy, you know, a foot-long sausage roll and a pint at half time, whether they can buy a second kit rather than just one kit. Um, but it also will affect people's ability to, all the other discretionary spend that goes on in football, whether or not they're going to uh, yeah. cancel their Sky subscription. Yeah whether or not they're going to spend money on some of the products that some of the advertisers um, advertise. So when you get, a, from my perspective, when you get a retraction in the economy of uh, 20 to 25%, which is you know, currently where we're at, the first thing that disappears is discretionary spend for consumers. And then if you look at discretionary spend for, um, for companies, the first thing that a company cuts back on, if they're not going to cut back on people, they cut back on advertising and marketing and sponsorship. And yeah. none of that, none of that has even touched football yet, but will do. And 
that's the you know the concern for for, for me if I'm looking at this take away Everton if I'm just looking at this at fo- for football from football point of view is yes you've got some clubs with owners that can carry all of those losses so the clubs that are owned by you know, state backed clubs aren't going to have a problem with this because they'll just fund it and if they if they're challenged by FFP or anything else they'll they'll take their chances with it as witnessed by Manchester City in the last few weeks but not every not every club is in that position um, and I don't think Everton are in, in that position uh, despite the fact that everybody thinks there's a certain Alicia Usmanov sitting in the background well, well that's where that's where I was coming to because you're painting a, a bleak landscape for football that's that's fine but doesn't necessarily impact Everton any 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 less and, it, and in fact it could impact Everton uh, or, or, or it doesn't have a worse impact on Everton than other clubs. In fact, because of our really poor comparative levels of match day revenue, you could say that we marginally benefit. But but our, and again, Manchester City and, and taking on the um, punishments that they were given and winning at the Court of Appeal for Sport. You know, a lot of fans think we should just. You know, why can't Usmanov just rock up? give us a bit of cash and we can go and buy some really good players more cheaply than they would otherwise have been. Um, and is there not an opportunity for us to, to kind of just play the system, take our chances with STCC and, um, you know, compete at a higher level domestically. And if that means we're not allowed in Europe, well, Sodom, frankly, is that not an approach we could take? Um, well, clearly it is an approach that we can take, whether it's a sensible approach or not, it is, is a different matter and my personal view is is well two things one it's not sensible and two um i don't i don't i don't see where the funding is coming from to do that and you know i i'm quite happy it could be coming from mr usmanov why have you always been so convinced that usmanov has no direct or indirect involvement with everton financially his well look his 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 Principal organisation USN clearly has a financial relationship with Everton Football Club. Yeah. Uh, in terms of sponsorship of Pinch Farm, sponsorship of uh, Goodison, and you know the, the the enormous commitment that they made in terms of the, the naming rights of the, of the stadium if the stadium goes ahead. So it's an attack. It's entirely wrong to say that that there isn't a, co- a connection. There is a financial connection. I don't get the idea that. Usmanov just sits in the, in in the background, without having um, ownership of what he's doing. And I don't think it's beneficial to the club to have somebody sitting in the background, pulling strings that for which there's no accountability. Now he might make a lot of an awful lot of very good decisions, and therefore accountability is less becomes less of an issue because um, we're successful. And when we're successful, people tend to ignore. Uh, things that might be going on that possibly shouldn't be going on. But I don't see this situation as it being any different from when Philip Green was allegedly involved with Everton Football Club under the, on, under the um, ownership of, of Bill Kenwright. A, a shadow owner or a shadow backer, shadow investor, shadow director um, is what it says it is. And there's no accountability. And I don't think that's healthy for the club. I don't think it's it's healthy for football. And I also think it's actually quite disrespectful of Mishiri. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have to be balanced in this. The guy has put all this money and he has put his name above the door. And he ultimately is accountable for everything that happens in the football club as, as the major shareholder. So for those reasons, I just don't think, I just don't think it's, is to the extent that people say it is okay. and if it was to the extent that people say it is I think he, he would have done more so I don't think the club would be in the position it's in now I don't think the club would be in the position where <clears throat> we're having to borrow money from rights and media funding for example right. okay. um, because you know if, if we have this vast uh, sort of or access to this vast amount of cash that's owned by somebody else yeah. Why would we be going to you know, what is a sort of a grey market operator in terms yeah. of rights and media funding? Yeah. Okay. okay well, well, let's let's move on from that then 
to the other question front and centre of Everton fans' minds, which is the stadium. Yep. In this uh, global economic recession, 25% reduction GDP um, and uh, real problems with consumer confidence and uh, spectator attendance and all of these variables that have come into the uh, equation in the last six months. What about Usmanov helping out with the stadium? And how likely, without him, do you think the stadium is to go ahead, spade in the ground? <clears throat> when are we talking, do you think? I think you have to make a very clear distinction between... <clears throat> somebody who is an entrepreneur and an investor in businesses and somebody who operates like a bank. So when people say, oh, Usmanov will, will you know, back the stadium, what people are saying is he's going to act like a bank. He's going to lend us money at you know fa favorable rates. <clears throat> My would, experience... it be, would it be that simple in terms of it being a loan or would it be dressed up in some other way? I mean, I think it would be dressed up in a number of ways. Part of it would obviously be naming rights so that yeah. he, he gets something for it, you know, like a soft benefit for it. Um, but a lot of it would be some form of commercial, you know, what's, what's known as commercial paper. So, you know, a debt attracts a certain rate of interest and that ultimately will have to be repaid. But the, the point I was going to make on that is <clears throat> you asked me about my experience at the beginning of this talk. Yeah, in my, in my experience, the type of people who operate in business the way that Usmanov does, you know, uh, active investor in many, many, many businesses, has his own operating company uh, um, that operates, you know, in all sorts of different sectors across Russia and, and elsewhere in the world. They tend not to operate like banks. They tend to want to invest their money. In, in, in businesses as against lending other people um, money. And I think that's, uh, that's an observation that you can only make if you've seen it, seen it elsewhere or not seen it elsewhere, as, as, I'm, as, as I'm saying. So I think it's unlikely. The, we, we, were, we were, undoubtedly, we were in, in the US looking before COVID-19. We were look, talking to U.S. investors through two very established U.S. banks or banks for the U.S. presence about um, borrowing money from very high, high net worth, very wealthy uh, U.S. investors in what's called the U.S. investment uh, private placement market. We were, we were definitely talking to people about that and we made a lot of traction and I think had things not happened the way that it happened in terms of COVID, we would have got the funding um, from that source. Right. I think that source has, to a large extent, dried up. There's still plenty of deals being done in the private placement markets in the US. But I don't think there's many deals being done for uh, what could be, and if you look at it from an investor perspective, a struggling um, Premier League club that's in an industry that doesn't know whether the income that everybody previously thought was secure is going to remain secure. Yes, of course. I think, I think, that's, a, I think that's an enormous stretch. Um, and that's why I think we, well, the fact that we were looking at that market indicates why Usmanov wouldn't be involved. And secondly, now that we're looking, you know, that's the market that we're looking at, how likely is that market to provide the funding for the stadium? I think the chances of it doing so are so much smaller than they were six, seven, eight, nine months ago. And that, that's an, it, it, it's not anybody's fault. It's not no. <clears throat> Rise Ancelor's fault. It's not Bill Kenwright's fault or anybody else. It's just, it's the reality of the situation that um, the debt so, market... So how is. does it get funded, Paul? I understand all of that, that they were looking at a series of, of, of rich... Uh, Americans to, to fund this capital <laughs> project and that the, that market has gone away for a whole variety of reasons. How does it get funded now? And, and, and if it's not going to get funded, how long is the delay to be able to start the work? I don't think there's a ready alternative um, to, to funding it at this moment in time, because as I say, I don't think Usmanov would want to act like a bank. 
um, the British banking system, not really interested in doing that type of thing. A lot of people said, well, you know, could the government come in and uh, through the local council uh, provide the funding? That's interesting because it, it makes sense on, on certain levels. It makes sense in terms of it will promote economic activity in an area that's desperate for it. So it's a big tick in that box. But one of the issues that Everton and Liverpool City Council had two years ago when they first started discussing it, you remember when we had Joe Anderson on yeah. um, Everton Business Matters? One of the big issues that arose from those initial discussions was the level of security that Liverpool City Council wanted in order to um, get the deal through the council and in order to provide assurances to uh, local taxpayers, council taxpayers, that this was in fact a, secu you know, a very secure deal that wasn't going to happen. All of, a lot of those security issues are even greater today than they were two years ago because of the associated risk now. Um, so I don't think that can happen either. So in the absence of funding, and unless Mashiri has magically got, found some more of his own money, um, I think it would be delayed. I think they'll get, they'll get planning permission sometime at the back end of the summer, early, early autumn. And I think they'll just take, just say, look, it's sensible just to hold off and it might be that we hold off for six months and see how um, we go through the winter whether there's a, a second wave whether you know the situation improves or not or it might be longer it might be might be 12 months um, but I think the prudent way of going about this would be to put a hold on it and I can't think of a way um, that they can't do that okay so, so stadium delayed inevitably because of what's happened outside of, you know, sort of regular control, nobody's fault, but, but delayed. Strict financial constraints on our ability in the transfer market. So in this reality which you painted so clearly and you've explained in even more detail today, um, what is the best we can hope for then? What does good look like now for Mashiri's Everton in July 2020? Um, where do we go from here? And, and who does uh, lead us? What's the extent of our ambition now? Okay. I, I said in the article that we have to be better at everything that we do. Yeah. And I think that's what, I think initially that's what good looks like. So I think it's... Uh, a, a total review of of the business, um, a total review of the people that are making the decisions that they're making. Um, it means getting the academy in proper order. It means yeah. getting the under-23 uh, team to operate as a feeder club to the first team because one of the impacts of football next year with having five substitutes in every game is that you actually need a bigger squad of players because, first of all, you need more people uh, yeah. at each game. But secondly, you know, more players are going to play, albeit for a shorter period of time, but more, more players are going to play in every game. So squad size and overall strength of the squad is very important. If that's not going to come from the transfer market, it has to come from sort of internal resources. So mm -hmm. it means uh, brands, getting that message across to David Unsworth and to everybody else involved in the under-23s that their objective is not to win, uh, frankly, meaningless trophies. It's to provide the resources that the first team are going to need. But you talk about an overall review, right? An overall review of decision-making and who's making those decisions at board level. I mean, the light can only shine on one person there. Surely it's got to shine on, on, on Marcel, hasn't it? I mean, Sasha and Denise haven't didn't decide to sign um, Fabian Delph or Alex Iwobi. Who, who, you know, that, that's what impacts our business, is the players that are signed, the quality of those players and their impact on the pitch. So surely the light has to shine on, on brands. And if brands' job is being compromised by Unsworth for one reason or another, not following the plan, then surely Unsworth needs to, be, uh, needs to pay the price. I mean, there has to be some change in personnel. Otherwise, we'll just get more of the same. I, 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 to I totally agree. And it, 
this is the, the the time when Marcel Brands really has to step up, and that's not a criticism of him. It's just stating the reality that um, we need to drive more out of what we've got, which I think is also you know a valid point across the whole business. Um, we don't our our, our production um, our output for what we have is significantly significantly less than what it should be in everything that we do. Right. And how can we change that then? Take football off. I mean, football, the, the acquisition of players, the running of the academy, coaching, team selection, tactics, mm. all of that. Forget football. What can we do better on a non-footballing uh, basis? The critical thing is... Uh, our, our commercial performance. Um, it's making it's making what we have more secure than what it currently is, because I think I think Kazoo are a much better, obviously a much better sponsor than Sport pays at. And for example, given their ability to raise money whenever they seem to want to, um, it's unlikely that they're ever going to be in a position where they can't afford their sponsorship with us. So you know, I think I think that's. That, that that's fine but i think in terms of the quality of commercial partners that we have we, ha we have to improve the quality of commercial partners and that does two things it uh, makes them more secure and it should make them actually more valuable to the club in the sense that they should pay more to be associated with the club because they have more resources available in order to do so the in 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 the recessionary times that I talk about, the 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 smaller companies, the companies with less strong balance sheets, um, they're the ones that are going to find it most difficult to continue their sponsorship arrangements. Yeah. So, the company, the the clubs that have the strongest companies as sponsors, are the ones that are going to retain those sponsorships for longest. And I'm not sure with Everton, you know. Uh, how far down our list of commercial partners you go before you start finding people who might be thinking, if I can save a million pound by not being associated with Everton, I think I might do that yeah. out of necessity. So I think that's really important. But then I think the other thing is, you know, um, like our relationship with Fanatics and our relationship with Hummel, it's really important that we get the most out of that. Uh, for two things, we we need to protect the business that we've got so we need to make sure that as many people as possible who buy Everton merchandise continue to do so notwithstanding all the things we just said about the economy so our marketing um, or creating a greater desire for people to buy Everton merchandising and product um, and what about the international element? What about international reach? I mean, we're doing some good stuff for Fans Forum, getting the likes of Chicago Evertonians involved and others. You know, are we finally with some of the international sponsors? Do you think we're in a better place to capitalise on those markets? I, th I, th I think we're, I think we're getting there, but I think we need to do more, right, and, and, and much more. And you know, I, one of the ideas that I've put forward, I don't think I've spoken or written about it but I put forward to a couple of people is that the club appoints somebody with direct responsibility for international expansion so and would you like to do that would you like to do that role Paul if the club no. if the club came to you and said listen we've read all your stuff we've listened to your podcast you clearly know your onions how about coming to work with us inside the tent what would you say uh, no I'm not interested in doing that because I've got my own interests elsewhere um, and that's being very blunt about it. It is. I'm surprised. I would have thought that you would love to actually have some direct influence on the success of, of Everton and bring about the changes that are needed. You've got international contacts. You've got, you know, proven uh, record of, of success, building relationships internationally. You're one of the most passionate Evertonians I've ever met. You'd be absolutely perfect for this role. Why wouldn't you take it? <laughs> oh, first of all, they, I don't think they'd offer it to me. Let's think um, positively. Let's think that they did. Let's 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 just imagine that they did. No, I, I'm not. I'm not going down there, Roger, because it, it's not something I would I'd want to do. So, um, I'm, I'm I'm not going down there. 
Okay. But there are people out there with the necessary skills and the necessary drive, the necessary ambition um, of a certain age who can see uh, a career opportunity, can see a commercial opportunity to um, be hugely valuable and hugely influential in the, in the global growth of, you know, what is still a fantastic football club at the end of the day. We, we get so close to the club that we, um, and, you know, we get so, we delve into the details so much that sometimes we need to step back and just realise that it's still a fantastic football club, despite all of the things that we say about it. We mm -hmm. say the things we say about it because they're like family and you, you know, most functioning families, you can always be very honest with the people that you love. It might be difficult at times, but generally speaking, the best families are the families that are totally honest with each other. So, yeah. you know, we sometimes sometimes we do have to step back and say, this is an incredible opportunity for somebody. And it's still, you know, despite all the difficulties, it's still an incredible opportunity for Everton Football Club. The, the, the point of the article is that we've wasted four and a half years mm -hmm. from my from my perspective in terms of doing the things that we could have done then well that's all gone now we, yeah. you, you never get that time back but that doesn't stop us from doing the right things uh, from today well, uh, look, i mean i'm interested that you uh, i'm really interested to hear and somewhat surprised to hear you saying that it's still a great football club it's still you know i mean we'll always support it of course we will um whether it's a great football club hmm um it, look, it, it, it's, it's great in the sense of what it's done in the past. Well, it's and that's exactly the problem. And that's exactly the problem. We can look at our history. We can look at the list of firsts. We can look at the fact that, you know, we've had nine league titles and all of that. But, but it counts for absolutely nothing. And I, and I think, you know, I, I'm surprised that you still, you still call it a great football club, you know, forward-looking. Um, because... I, I, you know, you lose four years and you, you waste all of this money. You're not going to get an, a second chance, are you? Um, no, you're not. And, you know, the task is um, massively more difficult now. One, because we've wasted all that money. Two, we've wasted a lot of time. Three, other people have done a better job with less resources. And four, the economic situation that we're in today is different from what, what it was in 2016 when Mashiri first arrived. So the, exactly. there's four very good reasons why it's now more difficult, um, which leads you to the question, if the people who've been in charge couldn't do what they should have done four years ago, how do you expect those people to do this, do it now in much more difficult circumstances? Well, well uh, that's right. And the four things you've just talked about there are the four things you said at the very beginning in terms of strategy. You know, where do we sit in the marketplace? What's the economic, you know, where do we sit within the overall economy? How do we deal with our, our, our customers? And where do we rank against our peers? And, and all of those things have kind, of, have kind of gone against us, haven't they? Particularly, where do we sit in the market? And is the issue not that we still think, or the board, the owner, Mashiri, Bill, Denise, and everyone still think we're a bigger football club than we actually are, and everything in the garden's rosy, rather than recognising that we've wasted a lot of money, we haven't made the fundamental changes to our structure, we've made some dreadful appointments and some dreadful signings, and meanwhile Wolves and Leicester and other clubs imminently are waving as they pass us on the, on the travelator to success. So, you know, it comes back to strategy at the end of the day, and not knowing, not being honest, not recognising, not being self-aware to what those issues are with the football club that you've been banging on about for some time. Yeah, it's look, in, in, in simple football terms, in simple Evertonian terms, it's like expecting our current midfield to turn, a, turn into World Cup winners overnight. They, they've constantly failed to achieve either because they're not able physically to do it, they're not able to do it mentally, they're not directed enough, they don't have enough awareness of tactics, all sorts of different reasons. Um, but they're never going to change because that's, that's who they are. Some of them might improve on the margins. And if they're young enough, like a Tom Davis, if he gets 
the correct coaching, if he finds the right environment in which to operate, may become the player that he might have once been. But um, for a lot of them, it's not going to happen. And I, I think the board are in the same sort of position. But they've performed pretty much like our midfield performs now. And mm. to expect them to perform differently, just because somebody gives them a different set of objectives or in football terms, tactics, I think is, you know, something with, you, 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 you're dancing with the fairies if you believe that. Okay, um, listen, close to wrapping up. So let me ask you two questions. The first with um, three uh, answers required. Um, three things that you would do. I appreciate and respect the fact that you wouldn't go and work for Everton. You wouldn't consult with them. You wouldn't you know, engage with them directly. But free advice from SHQ, three things they should change, three things they should do in the next month to put us on a better, sounder, strategic and financial footing. Three things they should do, please, Paul. A new chairman, a new CEO and a new director of international development. Okay, that's clear enough. Um, Final question. And I know you'll always have one final point to make, but the final question is this. <laughs> what is the end game for Farhad Mashiri and where do we go? Where do you see the club in three to five years' time? I think he, I think he needs to be... And I say this with the greatest of respect, OK? And everything that I said today, I, I, I you know, I mean, respectfully, in terms of the individuals that we're talking about. Yes, of course. I think I think he needs to be honest, honest with himself, and honest with us, and and, and lay it out clearly what he wants to do or what he doesn't want to do. And if he wants it, the club just to continue the way it is, and if he thinks the club is doing a good job doing what it currently does, then I think he needs to come out and say that. But if he doesn't want that, and if he wants um, a better return on the investment that he's made to date and if he recognises actually where we are and the reality of the situation then he has to tell us what he, he thinks should change in order to achieve whatever it is that he wants to achieve because if if one of those two well actually if the second thing of those two doesn't happen we're just going to drift and it's not going to just be Leicester and Wolverhampton Wanderers that go above us it's going to be Southampton and yep. it could even could even be Burnley Leeds I mean, that, I mean that with respect to Burnley well I, I mean I was, going, I was going to get on to Leeds in a second yeah Burnley is a very well-run club um dare I say it, and this sounds alarmist but if Brentford got into the into the Premier League and happened to survive for a couple of years with their backing the backing of their ownership and and critically uh the strategic thinking of their ownership. They, 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 they could survive for a number of years in, in the Premier League and come, and come to be you know, a much bigger and better club than they are now. And then you've got clubs like Leeds who are going to be media darlings. They're going to attract players uh, through their management uh, that perhaps we might like to have. So they're, they're competition in that sense. So... I, I see a situation where we're at best a mid-table club. Probably won't go down because there's probably always going to be three clubs either weaker or, or worse run than we are. Um, but I think the idea of us c- competing for Europe, the idea of us even winning a cup competition, let alone winning the Premier League, it comes back to that chance, you know, the chance thing that I spoke, spoke about in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We're... we're We'd be relying upon a roll of the dice, and yeah. that's that's not a way to build a business. It's not a way to invest, you know, half a billion pound or whatever Mashiri has done in terms of share purchase and uh, the, the amount of money that he's put into the club. I mean, it might be you know, it might be for him. He might he might be perfectly happy to do that. I don't know, but from my perspective, I don't think that's right. So, in short, unless we make some fundamental changes, particularly in the boardroom unless we start recognising our strategic position in the marketplace, identifying not just where we're going, but where we're starting from and being honest with ourselves, you see 
a period of stagnation to regression, no matter whether you put Carlo Ancelotti or Pep Guardiola or even Jurgen Klopp in charge of our great football club. I think a really good manager is going to um, will get the best out of what he's given. Of course. The question, the, and, and Angelotti will get the best out of what he's given. The question will be whether he's given enough um, to compete, notwithstanding the fact that he's going to get as much as he can out of what he's given. And that's the, ultimately, that's the difference between Angelotti being a successor at Everton and Everton not succeeding is going to be the resources that are made available to him. Yeah. The problem is those resources can only be made available if changes are, are made to the organisation that allow more revenue to be generated um, in order to back the manager. And that's ultimately you know, where we're at. Perfect. Paul, perfect summary. Thank you very much for your time. I hope people have found this interesting. Please let us know any questions or comments you've got as ever. The feedback on uh, your article has been pretty stellar, widely read, and I know that it's been widely well received, not just from Evertonians, but a lot of journalists out there who've seen it. So thank you for that. Um, my contribution has just been to ask the questions, but I also get to choose the closing music, and I'm sure that everyone will agree uh, we've spent a very pleasant hour with a very charming man. Thank you for listening. <laughs>